It's another Monday, pun day here on The Inner Life. Patrick Conley is on vacation, but even while he's away, we are keeping the tradition going. I'm sure you're very relieved about that. And it's about that time. So my question, how can you tell if someone is a stress eater? They have a lot on their plate. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. (laughs) Welcome to The Inner Life. It is Brooke Taylor filling in for Patrick Conley. He will be back, and I'm sure with much higher quality puns, no doubt, next week. But in the meantime, I will be with you for the next several days. It was a joy to begin last week and continue uh, this week up through Thursday as we explore various topics here on the program from doubt to why it's necessary to attend Holy Mass. We'll tackle that tomorrow. And today, our theme is stress. So that relates to the pun, scruples, anxiety in the spiritual life. Thank you for tuning in for this hour of spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio and the app. St. Francis de Sales taught that the greatest evil that can happen to a soul other than actual sin is to be gripped by anxiety for, he says, if our heart is inwardly troubled and disturbed, it loses both the strength necessary to maintain the virtues it acquired and the means to resist the temptation of the enemy. And any time we think of feeling anxiety, you almost feel like you're out of control or it's taking over. So it makes sense. And with that in mind, it also makes sense that the enemy would deploy this specific tactic at such width and depth as we see it today. And what's the difference between anxiety and spiritual scrupulosity? Prior to the Second Vatican Council, scrupulosity was regarded as an excessive fear of sinning. Some of the greatest saints struggled with this. St. Alphonsus Liguori, St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Therese of Lisieux. So what's the difference, again, between the two? Anxiety, scruples, depression. How do we surrender and surmount this challenge in the spiritual life. That is just a preview of what we will explore this hour. And our spiritual director with us is Father Rob Kroll, a Jesuit priest and the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Pleased to welcome him to the program for the next hour. Hello, Father. Hello, Brooke. Good to be with you and our listeners uh, again today. Thank you for being here. And as we begin, uh, here's the number to join the conversation. It's one 914 That's the studio line. Do you consider yourself an anxious person? How do you deal with your anxiety? And how has your interior life been impacted? Maybe you found a particular prayer or devotion that's efficacious in diffusing anxiety, for example. Let us know. Father is with us for the hour. Would love to hear from you. Again, it's one 914-9149. And Father, you have a MS in clinical psychology, which is especially helpful with this topic. So maybe we can start with that, the definition of anxiety and perhaps a distinction between anxiety and scrupulosity. Sure. And we can also talk a little bit about depression because anxiety and depression are probably the two most common um you know, mental disorders that afflict people and and they're often uh, seen together. So, yeah, well, you know, one thing I want to point out, Brooke, is that um, it's important, I think, to begin by saying that pretty much every human being experiences at some point in his or her life uh, some degree of anxiety and uh, maybe depression as well. And in fact, 
you know, I want to kind of normalize that, first of all, just by saying that, you know, we all face situations. Uh, it could be having to go for a job interview. It could be having to take uh, an important exam, uh, make an important decision, something along those lines that can cause a certain level of anxiety within us. And in fact, there are situations where anxiety is not only normal, but is actually beneficial. You know, it can help us to be alert to maybe dangerous situations and can focus our attention so we can remain uh, safe. I'm thinking like maybe when we're driving uh, and something, you know, jumps out, a a deer, you know, gets in my path or something along those lines. So just to say that a certain experience of anxiety and and I think depression too, uh, you know, we all have maybe days where we, we feel kind of down, we feel kind of blue. And um, so that, that is kind of a normal human experience, but what we're getting at with the program today is a more, uh, like a more intense experience of these moods. And so to begin with anxiety, you know, usually when it, when we talk about anxiety uh, in the mental health uh, realm and as a disorder, we're, we're talking about when anxiety gets to a point where it actually interferes with my ability to function, to kind of carry out day-to-day tasks, or maybe if I find myself overreacting when something triggers my emotions. And so my, my emotional uh, reaction is disproportionate to the situation at hand. Or maybe when I just feel, as you were kind of suggesting at the beginning of the program, kind of out of control with my responses to certain situations, and I can't, I can't deal with my emotions of anxiety very easily. Um, so, so there are certain you know benchmarks that we look for in terms of the intensity and also the duration. You know, it's one thing to have a day here and there when I, where I'm worried or fearful or or depressed, but if that's something that uh, endures over, you know, days, weeks, even longer, then, then that's clearly something of a different nature. Um, and yeah, well, maybe we can just talk a little bit about depression too. Um, and then also, as you mentioned, the, the scrupulosity, um, so depression, we would, we would, again, more from a clinical perspective, we would talk about kind of a persistent feeling of sadness or, or loss of interest in things and activities that I once found enjoyable. And it, it's, again, characterized usually by some difficulty with, with daily functioning, you know, maybe my ability to think, uh, to use my memory, even eating and sleeping can be disturbed. Um, that's pretty common when it comes to depression. And, and from a clinical perspective, we're talking about this happening maybe pretty much every day for at least two weeks, and then there might be other symptoms than just uh, sadness. And, and this is a situation that's pretty serious, or it can be without treatment, you know, because if we don't get a handle on the depression, uh, it can get worse, it can last longer, and if it gets to be extreme, it can even lead to self-harm or uh, suicide. Um, so, so it's not something that we should just uh, dismiss. I think one, one of the issues that we face when it comes to both anxiety and depression is a lot of people deal with this for a long time, and they just never get it diagnosed, or they never... Uh, seek any treatment. And so, you know, they're crippled by it or paralyzed by it for a long time. Um, I I don't think we need to go into great detail, but there are, um, within that area of depression, there are kind of different types that are distinguished in the mental health field. And, um, and, you know, so some can be um, more specific to certain situations, like, for example, a phobia with anxiety. You know, when when you talk about a phobia, some people, what really makes them anxious is a very specific thing like spiders or 
claustrophobia, you know, fear of small uh, spaces, things like that. So there's a particular phobia that gets them to be panicky. Um, but, but whether we're talking about anxiety or depression, um, the good news for us is there are very effective treatments, and it's usually a combination of some type of uh, psychotherapy or counseling, and then also, if necessary, some medications. And there are many of them out there that, are, that work very effectively. And so we have to over, maybe, maybe overcome an initial um, stigma about it, and you know, seeking help can feel like weakness or having to take a medication. You know, I don't want to do that, but but again, uh, if we don't treat these things early on, they can really fester and become uh, crippling in our lives. Um, would you like me to talk a little bit about um, the uh, scrupulosity, or do you, you want to? I talk would, more? and I want to just linger there for a moment about. Yeah. Mm-hmm getting it diagnosed and, and you mentioned people can live with it and, and might not know or might not seek help. And I think too, when you look at the data, you see statistically the higher percentage of women that suffer from yes. anxiety and depression. But do you think it's just because more women go and have it diagnosed where men perhaps might not? I, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to broad yeah. brush it here, but what are what is your sense? Yeah. Well, in the research that I, I have done, I, I think it is partly that. I think men might be more reluctant to seek the help because they might, you know, again, in our culture, to be a man, you know, implies all kinds of stereotypical, you know, attitudes that, that maybe seeking help for any, anything isn't really it's encouraged. Weakness. Yeah. But, right, exactly. But, but I think, too, I've even seen some things that there might be some uh, hormonal things that also, you know, affect this. And so women can be more, maybe more prone to certain uh, forms of anxiety or depression just because of the, you know, complicated, uh, complex hormonal activity going on. And and there are even forms of these mental disorders that are specifically associated with like pregnancy or or, uh, postnatal, you know, uh, separation, that kind of thing. And and maybe as, as long as we're talking about that, you know, I think with both anxiety and depression, the, the general understanding today is, you know, we don't always understand why a person experiences these, but there tend to be certain um, combinations of things. So on the one hand, there could be uh, something chemical. There could be a chemical imbalance or just something going on with physically within the body that can cause these mood disorders. There's also environmental factors, you know, especially if I've been traumatized somehow, often like in childhood, but also as an adult, if I experience something very traumatic that can trigger one of these mood disorders. Um, there's even a hereditary factor, you know, that certain anxiety disorders and, and depression disorders run in families. And so there can be at least a, a predisposition. It's not necessarily that I have a, a specific gene that causes this. But anyway, so it's a little bit mysterious to us as to exactly, you know, the role of all these different factors. But but it's important for us to think that early in the program to really highlight that we're not talking about just um, a personal weakness or a character flaw you know, this isn't something that you should be berating yourself about and beating yourself up about it. it, it it's common. Um, you know, if you look at the statistics, I mean, you know, a high percentage of of uh, Americans deal at least for some time in their life with one of these mood disorders. Um, they they say that you know the statistic that I that I've seen lately is about 40 million Americans are affected by uh, some form of anxiety disorder. That's nearly 30 percent of all adults at some point in their life. Um, so, so it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just something to uh, recognize uh, as um, you know a complicated reality and, and one, but one that is, like I said, easily 
uh, and, and effectively treated in, in most cases. Um, and, and I mentioned, you know, the counseling and, and, and medicine, but also obviously this program being what it is, you know, we should bring in the whole factor of our, of our faith. So having, you know, having uh, the sacraments and prayer and spiritual direction and things available for us, that all of those, of course, help us in our mental health as well. One of the reasons I asked to do this MS in, in clinical psychology is because um, after three years at one of our Jesuit retreat houses, I just noticed a lot of the retreatants coming in would talk about mental health issues or, or personal problems. And I, it became very clear to me that our, our mental health and our spiritual health, while they're, they're not the same, they are interrelated. So, Well, and your expertise is like having a Navy SEAL on this issue because you really have this precision training, not just look at all the things that are confounding experts, quote unquote experts across the world today, whether it's the rise in school shootings or the number of young people afflicted by the gender ideology or depression or anxiety or our veterans with PTSD and, and many people. And I think you being able to have that full whole person approach of the neuroscience, the pathology of anxiety, but also the study of the soul, because that's often a critical component that's missing. So it's such a gift to be able to have you on. And again, we are with Father Rob Kroll this hour, a Jesuit priest, the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. Also want to invite you to call one 914 is the number. My name is Brooke Taylor. This is The Inner Life, and we've been talking about anxiety, depression, spiritual anxiety. And in the church, Mental suffering is often represented by the crown of thorns and and turning that into a source of beatitude, which then transforms the thorns into a halo. And that theme is repeated, whether it is anxiety or depression or OCD, mental health related and even scruples. And so I guess with that, I want to touch on that as we bring it into some of these things we're identifying and distinguishing the difference of uh, can you tell us a little bit about scruples? Some might think it's spiritual perfectionism, uh, sort of spiritual vanity almost, because we we might doubt the goodness of God and his mercy. We feel like we need to do this in the spiritual life, or we might not be forgiven, or we might not be as holy as we ought to be. And many saints right. struggled with this. So maybe you could break that down for us as well, Father. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up, Brooke. And, and you're right that a lot of saints, you mentioned some at the beginning of the hour, uh, St. Alphonsus Liguri, uh, the founder of my religious uh, family, uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola. Um, and so, yeah, some of our holiest men and women, uh, you mentioned uh, Therese as well, the little flower, um, have struggled with this. So, again, we're in good company if we do find ourselves afflicted by it. And um, maybe what I want to, just before I lose sight of it, too, because we mentioned St. Alphonsus Liguri, um, the Redemptorists as an order, uh, which he founded, have been uh, very much at the uh, at the lead of tr- of dealing with scrupulosity for Catholics. And in fact, um, there's a Father Thomas Santa, uh, so just like Santa Claus, and uh, he's a Redemptorist who for like 25 years has written a monthly newsletter, and, and there's a whole website called Scrupulous Anonymous, and so I would just encourage any listeners dealing with scrupulosity or if they know somebody who is to maybe avail themselves of that resource. And there's a great thing called the, um, the Ten Commandments for Scrupulous Persons. And, and, and so they lay out some very clear principles that when a scrupulous person is caught in the throes of their um, anxiety, really, because it, it, a lot of people today consider scruples to be some form 
of like a subset of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. So uh, there are some good resources available out there, specifically, uh, you know, just put together by by religious uh, people and for Catholics. So I just want to highlight that. Um, so, you know, we used to talk about scrupulosity as a kind of um, a tender conscience. And, and I've worked with scrupulous people, both lay people and seminarians and others, who, uh, you know, we describe that tender conscience in the sense that they might be overly uh, sensitive to the reality of sin. And so sometimes this happens as, as a young person, uh, maybe a person who is raised in a very devout family and and obviously is very interested in loving God and loving one's neighbor, um, but they, they kind of get somehow trapped by an excessive focus on sin and the consequences of sin. Um, I can think of one woman uh, that I've worked with and who I continue to to, to talk with uh, periodically, and, and uh, you know, she really is, is paralyzed very often by that, that thought that, Everything she's thinking, doing, saying is somehow sinful, and and so um, it can be really it can be really crippling. Um, some people too, like as an adult, if they come to a uh, if they have a powerful conversion experience, uh, maybe let's say RCIA or something like that, you know that can also kind of generate this um, fear that oh my goodness I'm not holy enough or I'm sinning all the time, and and then that can become associated with. Um, certain repetitive actions, like the woman that I was just referencing often struggles with compulsive hand-washing, checking uh, things, checking locks, or making sure that, you know, her apartment is 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 super, super, super clean. There's often issues around cleanliness, you know, going to church, going to Mass, and receiving communion. If you have any any dust or dirt on you, that kind of thing can be agonizing. Uh, repeating certain prayers over and over again. So, so in its more extreme form, scruples can uh, involve these repetitive actions that are that a person feels compelled to carry out. And again, they they kind of know in their mind, they know in, intellectually that God is love and God is merciful. But when it comes to living day by day, they often feel as if God is this very harsh kind of uh, slave master, slave driver, and and, um, and that any peccadillo could send them, you know, headlong into hell. And so it, it could be very, very difficult, very agonizing. And um, so anyway, uh, you know, again, we all want to be, uh, you know, devout. We want to be attentive to the particulars of our faith. We want to live a good moral life. All of that is laudable. But uh, but it can become, for some people, um, just really debilitating. Um they, they say, great. again, a, a statistic that I've seen is maybe about three million people or about one in six suffer from uh, scrupulosity. So it's, it's, you know, it's not that uncommon, especially for us who are, you know, serious about our faith. Sorry, I wonder, too, is there, um, I guess this is, you know, kind of an anecdotal question, but I'm an introvert and I know a lot of introverts similarly deeply contemplative can, that can be a good thing, but you're also kind of in your own head all the time. Yeah. Is there more of a personality tendency that might be prone uh, to this sort of affliction of scrupulosity? And you mentioned yeah. you know, the upbringing and that sort of thing as well. Right, right. So there are a number of, of factors. I mean, I think I think personality can uh, factor into it. Um, you know, especially like you said, if you're an introvert and you spend a lot of time um, kind of interiorly analyzing, thinking, right. sometimes some of the expressions that I've come across that describe the experience of scrupulosity are like, 
like thoughts that cannot be shaken. So there might be intrusive thoughts that are just really hard to uh, let go of. Or I've seen other expressions like being possessed by a thousand frightening fantasies or um, kind of constructing a spider web in the mind. So I think it is a lot of like interior uh, rumination and uh, interior experience of being kind of tied up in knots. And so I think maybe a uh, an in, uh, introvert might be more prone to that than, let's say, somebody who is, yeah, highly extroverted and is always exteriorizing, uh, you know, uh, things through conversation and, and so forth. Um, I, and, I, and we did mention the upbringing. So I think, again, sometimes depending on, and it's not like, you know, people intend to pass on scrupulosity to their children or anything, but sometimes maybe in a very devout family uh, in the effort to, you know, protect children from sin and from a lot of the evils that surround us, you know, perhaps uh, unwillingly or unwittingly, there's a kind of a, a sense of fear that, that creeps in around uh, sin. And and again, we, we should have a holy fear of God, right? We talk about that in the scriptures. Um, the fear, you know, fear of God is lauded as a virtue, but it's not the fear of being terrified of God's, you know, punishment all the time. It's a holy, healthy fear that we don't we don't want to offend God because God is love and God loves us. And so I think we want to be very secure in that sense of God's love and mercy. And because of that, we, we fear grieving his heart, just like, just like a husband and wife might fear harming, you know, hurting their spouse because they love them. So it, it, that's, that's different than this um, scrupulous fear of like, I'm, I'm always displeasing to God. He's never happy with me. And I'm always just one step away from, uh, from damnation. So there's a great story that's comical. I think it's so good too with St. Julie Billiard that she had struggled with scrupulosity and yeah. she even went so far as to delight in being wrong in in working and overcoming this with virtue and God's grace. Not that she would set out to be wrong, but she realized that if she did have an imperfection or a mistake, she decided to make no effort to hide it. So there was one example where she had written a letter to the bishop and had told her sisters not to correct the misspellings, just to let it go. And you think of, you know, whether it's a type A or perfectionist or the scruples, you know, person, the OCD, like that would be, what? I can't let that go. And just the humility (laughs) of that, because in humility, we see things as they really are. And that is accept the way they are. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't, of course, always strive. But there again, you know, I think practicing virtue of of grace, trusting God, it's going to be okay. And (laughs) also humility. No, very much so, Brooke. That's a good insight. And, you know, I, I often use the phrase with my uh, seminarians that I'm a spiritual director for, you know, that it's progress, not perfection. And, yeah, you know, it says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And when we get to heaven, um, anything that's sinful or selfish or dark is going to be purified from us. But uh, but on this pilgrimage, you know, we have to be, I think, at peace with a certain imperfection and uh, like you said, keep striving for virtue and holiness and sainthood. I mean, we're all called to be saints. That's our, that's our destiny. But uh, if that becomes something that crushes us, it actually works against what we, what we want and what God wants for us. You know, to go back to this woman that I was talking about earlier, you know, some of the, sometimes when she brings her problems to me, my, my heart kind of breaks because I just think, oh, you know, God loves you so, so much, and he's looking at you with great compassion and he doesn't want you to be tortured by all of these uh, fears and scruples. And, and so it is, you know, you have, we have to have a lot of compassion for people who really struggle mightily with it. And, um, 
And I think, again, as Catholics, you know, as a, as a faith community where we do have uh, a lot of, you know, like we talk about canon law, we have liturgical rubrics, we have um, a solid and very, well, very well-developed moral um, teaching, you know, all of that is a great gift. But uh, we can't kind of like lose the forest for the trees, and we need to keep in mind who God is, what God's nature is, how God views us, you know, who we are, all of those basic truths so that we can navigate this life uh, peacefully and joyfully. I, I, uh, I have a great prayer that I, I keep on my desk because our seminary here is St. Francis de Sales Seminary, and you, you mentioned him at the beginning of the hour, and he's got a great prayer called Be at Peace. I'll maybe just read it. It's very short. It says, Do not look forward in fear to the changes in life. Rather, look to them with full hope as they arise. God, whose very own you are, will lead you safely through all things. And when you cannot stand it, God will carry you in his arms. Do not fear what may happen tomorrow. The same understanding Father who cares for you today will take care of you then and every day. He will either shield you from suffering or will give you unfailing strength to bear it. Be at peace and put aside all anxious thoughts and imaginations. So I really, I really like that prayer. You know, it's an invitation to, to be at peace and not anxious, because we know that God is providentially caring for us at every moment. Thank you, Father. And I also, on our show notes, I want to post about Father Thomas Santa that you mentioned with the scruples, anonymous, and, and get that so that our listeners can also connect in, in the prayer that you just mentioned. Father Rob Kroll is with us. He is our spiritual director today. As we look at spiritual anxiety, depression, we're also touching on scrupulosity as well. And we're especially blessed, not only in the capacity of his priesthood, but also the discipline of psychology, which Father holds a MS in clinical psychology. So giving us the perspective of integration of spirituality and psychology, which covers the whole human person. My name is Brooke Taylor. Happy to be back with you in for Patrick Conley most of this week. Taking your calls, Janice, Angela, hang tight. We've got some really great feedback I want to get to. And our phone lines are open, one 914 What do you do when you're experiencing anxiety? Do you have a story about a time that you felt anxious or even dealt with scrupulosity? And perhaps there's a devotion. Father referenced the sacrament, the beautiful sacramentals and devotions that we have. Maybe there's one in particular that you go to that you found God's grace, especially potent for your situation. Father's on the line standing by. We will continue to explore how to overcome anxiety and ways we might grow in holiness through it. Back in a moment here on Relevant Radio and the app, you're listening to The Inner Life. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at relevantradio.com slash quest. grow deeper in your spiritual journey. Welcome back to The Inner Life. It's Brooke Taylor and for Patrick Conley. Our spiritual director today is Father Rob Kroll, a Jesuit priest and the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Also a clinical psychologist, which comes in particularly handy with today's topic, and that is anxiety, spiritual anxiety, scrupulosity, depression. We've touched on all of those challenges already, the definitions and distinctions in the beginning of the program, especially breaking down the specifics. And if you missed it, catch the podcast. Producer Nick, 
always using his swift skills to publish the episode pretty quickly after you hear it live. So if you know someone who deals with anxiety, you can send them the solid spiritual direction that Father Rob Kroll is giving us today. And increasingly, it's hard for people to have personal spiritual advisors, which is why I think the inner life in particular is so valuable here on Relevant Radio, and we're grateful to bring it to you. Our phone lines are open as well. one 914 is the studio number. We're here for the hour. If you have a story, an insight you'd like to offer, again, the topic is spiritual anxiety. So we've evaluated the malady, some of the issues that we're dealing with, not only from a neuroscience perspective, but a soul science, and also the beauty and the graces available to us, the richness of our church. Every time we look at the crucifix, the prayers, the sacraments, the sacramentals, Angela in particular from Colorado is joining us to talk about that and the consolations that she's received. And uh, welcome to the program. Angela, you're with us. Hi, thank you. I just wanted Hello. to share that I, defi- I, I definitely um, struggle with anxiety. I've struggled with it all my life and tried, um, you know, going through therapy. And, I, and some of that helped indeed. But what I found was I finally found myself on my knees and just begging God, please help me, please help me. And I realized that or through that, I was led. I was led to the church. I was led back to confession. And that was the biggest thing that I could have done for myself um, to help out with that um, anxiety. But what I do now is I still suffer with anxiety, but what I tell people all the time, I pray the rosary and sometimes I'll wake up in a state of panic, but I just start saying, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you slowly and just continue to say it like four or five times. And then I'll just, you know, trust in him. I say, yes, yes, I trust in you, Lord. And I know that he has everything in he has he's in control of everything. So there's where I put my trust and I keep holy water by my bedside, I keep my rosary in my hand, I sleep with it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it has brought and I tell people, it does I'm not done. But I'm telling you, God makes it lighter. Jesus walks us through it. So that's my testimony. I believe in it. It is helping me and I still struggle but I still believe. So I hope that helps somebody. Thanks, Angela, for sharing your own experience. That's really beautiful. And I want to maybe highlight a couple things that you said that I think are really important. Number one, you know, you still struggle somewhat with the anxiety. So it's not as if we can expect uh, prayer or the sacraments or sacramentals to just sort of take away that cross but it does lighten it, and that's really important. I think most people find, especially if it is a more serious case of anxiety or depression, that it's a combination of you know all of those faith perspectives that you've highlighted, along with maybe some good counseling, you know, at least for a, uh, an interim period as you're trying to understand the the reality better, and then get some tools, some strategies for dealing with it, also just on a mental health level, psychological level. And then, um, you know, I think uh, if necessary, as I've highlighted before, maybe some medication. That That's something that has to be discerned, you know, for each person. But, um, yeah, you mentioned some really important things about confession, for example. I mean, just the, the, uh, the relief and the joy that we can experience, the peace that comes with knowing that we're forgiven and that Jesus' healing power is at work at that deepest level of our being, the level of the soul. 
um, reaching for that rosary when we're panicked, uh, the Faustina prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. Some of us may know about the uh, Surrender Novena, um, and that's uh, another resource that I personally have found very helpful too. And kind of the key phrase that keeps uh, repeated in that uh, Novena is, uh, oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you, take care of everything. So it really is entrusting everything to the Lord's care. Um, so yeah, thank you for uh, sharing your own your own uh, testimony. I think that's a great thing about our our inner life show is that people will just talk about how you know in their own lives they they uh, have dealt with situations. So thanks again. And Angela too, I think a great example of it requires a collaboration between between God's grace and human effort, where it's a both and scenario. We need yep, both right. and. And as she in it really goes back to the virtue of fortitude and in the beauty, maybe you could speak about that of persever- perseverance in the interior life that, you know, this very thing she said she struggled with her whole life is also the area where we see this immense growth and this encounter with God and with blessed right. other. No, very much so. And, you know, I, I think what you said about the uh, synergy or the cooperation between grace and nature and our effort, that, that, that's really key. But um, isn't it true for all of us, even if we don't have a diagnosable, you know, uh, mood disorder like anxiety or depression, isn't it true that often in our life we find that it's through trials and crosses and sufferings that were uh, led to the greatest spiritual growth? I mean, whether that's humility, greater dependence on God, um, uh, courage or fortitude, as you were highlighting. So I think, uh, you know, God permits these things for a reason. He doesn't, he doesn't just play around with us. He's not giving us crosses to punish us. He's, he's teaching us and forming us and shaping us for heaven. And so, um, so I think that that helps too, is, is as we go through some of this anxiety or depression that we might be experiencing, we might ask, you know, why, and where is God and all of this? And we have to remember that, uh, you know, God's providence is always at work and, and he permits things to happen for, for good reasons. We haven't really talked yet in the hour about Jesus himself specifically, but, you know, you think about him in the, in the garden and we even call it the agony, uh, you know, in the garden. And uh, he's, he's so anxious, he's so fearful for a moment that he's is sweating blood. And, but then there comes a, a, a moment when he's able to really uh, hear the Father speak his love and support to him. And, and he knows that this horrible experience he's about to undergo is again, uh, for the, for good. It's for the redemption of the whole human race. I mean, there isn't much, how much higher good than that. So it, it gives him then courage and fortitude and peace. You know, even in the midst of all the torturous passion, he's got a deep inner peace because he knows his father loves him and is with him. And he knows that ultimately all this will end in, in, uh, you know, what is good. So, it's, I think it's providential that you brought that up, Father, because there was an email question that came in that really speaks without you knowing exactly to mm. that. And it's interesting. This question is, we have touched on anxiety. The question I have is, 
Can you tell me what to do with Catholic anxiety? It is when I feel all the leaders have left the church. There is so much scandal, and it wears on you after a while, and I have great anxiety about the current situation in the church. And Father, when I got that, I th- I actually thought about uh, St. Thomas More because in his, I think it was the last work he wrote before his trial and execution, and it's called The Sadness of Christ, and he talks about the image of Christ in prayer racked with sorrow that his his own apostles slept while the Son of Man was being betrayed. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a consolation because there is a loneliness that comes with anxiety, obviously. And whether that's, um, in, and I know, again, you study the neuroscience and the soul aspect. So we look at maybe it's spiritual combat or it's the, the mental aspect of feeling no one understands quite what I'm going through. And, and that can be in so many scenarios because we are all called to carry our cross and this path that is an opportunity for us to be conformed, this the salvation work that our Lord asks us to do. But even I'm thinking of caregivers, and I remember thinking in my own life for a while, I was going to unite my suffering with the lepers on Molokai with St. Damien, because mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. that's how alone, you know, I felt for a time. And, you know, mm-hmm. what a rich experience that I never would have had had our Lord not revealed that. And as you're talking about the garden, the chalice, and we touched on this last week, that, that our Lord gives us this chalice, not as a punishment, but as a stake in his mm-hmm. His uh, redemptive work, the Paschal right. mystery. Yeah, what a great uh, invitation and dignity that the Lord gives us to actually help co-redeem the world with him. You know, Paul talks at one point about making up for the sufferings of Christ. And of course, he's not in any way suggesting that Jesus's passion and death was somehow imperfect or incomplete, but but that now we have the opportunity, you know, in, in 2023 and in whatever places we inhabit, we can we can cooperate with Jesus in helping to redeem the world, you know, by uniting our crosses with his. So that, that gives our, our suffering, whatever form it takes, great meaning and purpose. And, and it also gives us hope. And I think that's another virtue. We've talked about courage, but another virtue that we really need in all of this is hope. You know, I, I, I saw a statistic today when I was preparing for the show that I think there's like 40,000 people a year in the United States, 40,000 Americans who commit suicide because of, you know, untreated depression. And, and we probably all know people that have committed suicide. And I just, you know, again, it's so sad that a person would get to that point uh, of darkness and despair. And so I think hope is a virtue that we need to cultivate so very, very much. I also, you, your comments, Brooke, really helped me to think about something else that I forgot to mention earlier. And that's in addition to like individual counseling or therapy and medication and our own prayer and, you know, confession and all that. We, we really need to uh, avail ourselves of like a community that could be a 12 step group. It could be like the scrupulous anonymous community, but, but, you know, when we're suffering with anxiety, depression, scruples, whatever it is, it's so helpful to realize that, you know, I'm not alone. And, and just as we're hearing, you know, Angela and others give testimony over the, over the radio today, you know, just hearing the stories of other people and how they've dealt with it and then allowing me to bring my story out into the light. I mean, just that's half the battle is just realizing that I'm not alone. Other people can empathize, not just sympathize, but actually empathize because they've been there. That's huge in terms of hope. Absolutely. And 
I think, too, making a quick act of faith or act of trust. St. Therese talked about that all the time. Also, I, as we're on that topic, a couple questions from callers about the prayer that you had mentioned before our last break. Can you tell us where to find that? Sure. It's called Be at Peace. That's usually the title. Uh, I've got a holy card that I'm holding in my hand right now. And so it's the author is St. Francis de Sales. And if you Google that, if you just Google St. Francis de Sales, so D-E and then S-A-L-E-S, and, uh, and you put in Be at Peace, this, this prayer will come up right away. And there's, you know, you'll find it all over the Internet. Um, so... Thank you. Uh, I want to take a break. We have a lot of calls on the line and obviously tapping into something that is very timely. Father Rob Kroll is with us, our spiritual director today, as we look at spiritual anxiety. And again, we're blessed not only to have Father with us in the capacity of a priest, but also the discipline of a clinical psychologist as well, giving us that whole person perspective, the integration of our soul, the mind covering the whole human person. My name is Brooke Taylor, back with you in for Patrick Conley most of this week. This is The Inner Life. Again, one 914 is the number to call. We'll try to get to all of your calls before we wrap up here. Do you have an experience with anxiety or a story to share? We'd love to hear from you. Back in a moment here on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at RelevantRadio.com slash quest. Increasingly in our culture, there is a lethal error, a lie that tells us identity is being formed by a sense of production. And society says, what can you give me to earn your place? So it's no wonder that so many vulnerable souls, and then you think of the influence of social media on top of that, are inducing this feeling of anxiety levels at an all-time high. And that's why today's topic is especially timely. Certainly we saw it during COVID and in some ways that's just continued to mount. And this is the inner life and the topic that we're talking about today is spiritual anxiety and how we might grow in the interior life with that, but also the component, of course, of the whole human person, mind and body, soul. My name is Brooke Taylor, filling in for Patrick Conley, joined by Father Rob Kroll, Director of Spiritual Formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. Do you turn to the Lord in anxious times? And what have you learned? How have you grown through that? Would love to hear from you. one 914 9149. The phone lines are open, and I do want to get to some calls, Father, with the time that we have left. And, and we talked about some particular prayers, devotions that have helped with those struggling with anxiety. There are so many. The prayer, St. Francis de Sales, that you shared, the act of faith or trust from St. Therese of Lisieux, the rosary was mentioned, Divine Mercy Chaplet, the Sacrament of Reconciliation. You see just in those little examples, the richness and depth of the graces waiting to be poured out in the treasury of our faith and our church. Mariana is with us from Oregon to add to the list. I want to hear what you have to say. Welcome to The Inner Life. Hi, Mariana. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Hello, Mariana. What did you want to add? 
So I actually do everything that he uh, has mentioned, and they all work super well. I even start, I, I was di- I'm almost 45, and I was diagnosed when I was 17 with depression and anxiety. But the one that I discovered lately that it works like a charm, and especially when you have like actual physical anxiety, is the flying novena. The one that Mother Teresa used for, for her little miracles, like in everyday life, they work like a charm for anxiety. And what was the name of that novena again? The flying novena. It's pretty much nine memorias that you're asking for your intention. Yes. And the tenth one, it's uh, Thanksgiving because you know that uh, Mary has helped you. Uh, Right, because it touches on the Memorare and Emergency Flying Novena (laughs) to Our Lady, it's called. Great, great. Well, thanks, Mariana, for sharing that. And I think, too, Father, thank you, Mariana, again, you know, just because I think what she's saying and what also we heard earlier from um, the caller from the Rosary is these components of the, of being in the present moment, stillness and silence. And of course, you can pray that verbally or just interiorly. But, but that, you know, those things take being childlike and simplicity and trusting and, you know, just being grateful, I think, for small acts of kindness, putting our trust, knowing that we have to be in the present moment and, and it's okay to let go of control. Because I think that's a big part of it too, Father. It seems where you want to be in control because when in, you're in control, you feel safe. And I think that's true of every human being, probably that desire for control. And it's exacerbated maybe in our culture. We, you know, have expressions like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And, you know, a lot of us men, especially maybe more than women, can be very self-reliant. And again, going back to what we were saying about it being a, a form of weakness to reach out for help. So, so yeah, I think even the, just these prayers that are being uh, suggested, there are moments when we do stop and it's like, okay, I can't fix this myself. I need the Lord's help. And then we reach out whether it's through a rosary or through a, you know, the flying novena, whatever it might be. But um, yeah, it, it's a it's a humble gesture of saying, you know, I can't, but Lord, you can. So, and with that comes, as we talked about, the virtue of fortitude and, and holy courage, moral courage. One of Saint John Paul II's oft repeated repeated exhortations throughout his pontificate was, "Be not afraid." And how can we incorporate this call into situations where we might feel anxiety or stress? Well, I do think turning to Scripture, there are certainly many uh, passages in the Bible, including the Gospels and Paul. Paul was a man who experienced a lot of anxiety. Uh, he had a lot of distress in his life, but um, you know, wrote, wrote beautiful passages about trusting in the Lord and and so I think turning to Scripture, it is the divinely inspired Word of God, so it has a special place in our life as Catholics. Um, I think about, you mentioned uh, Pope St. John Paul II, and I have on my wall in my office a quote uh, that I love, which is, we are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures, we are the sum of the Father's love for us and real capacity to become the image of His Son, Jesus. So again, we tend to maybe uh, over-identify with our weaknesses and failures. One of those weaknesses maybe being a struggle with anxiety or depression. And, uh, and we have to remember kind of the big picture, and we are ultimately a beloved daughter or son of our Heavenly Father. We're uh, a brother or sister of Jesus Christ who died to save us, and we're his disciples, his friends. He calls us his friends in John 15. So that that's who we are, and we need to kind of keep the uh, struggle that we're going through in its in its proper 
measure or perspective. And that is an opportunity, as we've talked about, as it is across, but to unite that with Christ. And I just do want to mention that I think it's a word of caution that merits a mention, and that is there are some, I think, dangerous errors about with anxiety and praying, meditation, prayer that come from New Age spirituality as voiding your mind, you know, so to speak, as a way to bring yourself calm or emptying your mind. And that's actually not a Christian passage or practice. We are meant to be filled. We're meant to be filled by God. And it's good to be emptied of the world. And, and it has to go, the world has to leave our heart and leave our mind so that our Lord can fill our heart and mind. But but not emptiness and void. And I think that's the beauty of all of these devotions, certainly our sacraments, uh, the most supreme, our Holy Eucharist, because we quite literally are filled with our Lord in the humble presence of the Blessed Sacrament. And so I think that that's important too, Father. And I guess that then leads us to peace. So maybe you could share a note about peace as we um, look at the ultimate hope, I guess, as, as we talk about hope in this virtue of um, struggling through anxiety and depression. Yeah, it's a good caution that you point out, uh, Brooke, that um, there is a certain tranquility of mind and heart that we want to live with, and we want to you know, foster a, a deep sense of peace and confidence in the Lord. But that doesn't mean um, turning to, as you said, kind of new age, or certain theories uh, of, of uh, you know, contemplation that, that seek uh, just our own personal self-fulfillment or that seek to uh, empty the mind completely. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're at peace because we know that we carry, well, I, I like to sometimes say we're all, those of us who are baptized Catholics and who are living in a state of grace, we're, we're kind of mobile, breathing tabernacles, you know, and, and I don't mean to minimize in saying that the presence, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist in our tabernacles and our chapels and churches and adoration, but but that when you think about it, if, you know, especially those of us that receive uh, the Eucharist daily or certainly weekly, um, you know, we, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're, that's what Scripture, uh, you know, teaches us, and so we're meant to be, uh, we receive the body of Christ so that we can be the body of Christ in our world. And so I think um, that there's a great uh, measure of peace that comes from knowing that we, that the living God, the triune God, makes uh, their home in us and dwells in the depths of our of our hearts and souls. And, and if that's true, then ultimately nothing can really harm us. I mean, we, can, we still have struggles and trials, but at the end of the day, uh, we have great hope and confidence because God's going God's gonna to see us through it all. Praise be to God. And even, you know, in those moments to even place your hand on your pulse and to feel life, you know, the resurrection is in your veins and to even mm-hmm. speak the name of Christ, you know, there, there, that's the beauty is his grace is there every time we call his name, Jesus, I trust in you uh, and say a prayer. Um, we started off with kind of a poor pun. <laughs> We're concluding with peace. So it's not a bad way to end our spiritual direction. What a gift to have you with us today, Father. Father Rob Kroll, a Jesuit priest, director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, as we have walked through also a psychologist, the topic of spiritual anxiety, depression, and scrupulosity as well. Father, as we wrap up, could you give us a prayer as we end today's program? Heavenly Father, I ask you to send down your Holy Spirit upon all of our listeners today, and especially those who may be struggling with uh, depression or anxiety or some other form of, uh, of mood disorder. Just give them confidence and peace 
and hope. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Father. Again, that is uh, Father Rob Kroll. We thank you for your time being with us today. Nick Sentovich is the producer of The Inner Life. Thank you for your dynamic work today and every day, Nick. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Patrick Conley.